Welcome back for another episode of the podcast. As always, it's brought to you by Laura Lee Smith. She's a real estate agent for Better Homes and Garden Real Estate in the Bryan College Station, Texas and surrounding areas. And see why she is the number one real estate agent in the United States of America, in my opinion, by calling her or texting her at any time at 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. See how she can get you out of your rental property into your very own home where you can have your own little like fire pit, walkway area, or tropical garden like we have in our back. Just do whatever. We customized our own home. And you know why we were able to do that? Because we weren't renting anymore. We owned, and that's all to the credit of Laura Lee Smith. She made our dreams come true. So please, give her a call, text her. That number again, because I know you probably forgot it, is 979-218. Two three one five. Also, if you are going to drink anything other than nine five adventure coffee, go to fifteen forty one coffee shop. Sam, the owner over there, was on the podcast. He has done nothing but help me out and give a like, give guests guests like uh, the former guests of the podcast were on here because of him. He's promoted it. You name it. They're just great people over there. If you are not going to drink the coffee that supports this podcast by nine five adventures. Then go support the podcast by giving Sam your business and having a cup of coffee at 1541 Coffee Shop in College Station, Texas. Look them up and go check them out. We do have 95 Adventures Awesome Espresso Blend out. So not only do we have K-Cups, Whole Beans, Regular Grind, we have an awesome espresso grind that is absolutely delicious in any sort of coffee maker. So I really suggest getting it if you love coffee if not that's fine however i do want to say a big thank you to everybody who has purchased coffee and the 95 adventure blend Uh, a lot of work went into it and a lot of appreciation goes out to everybody who purchased it because it helps support the podcast and what i do and what i really really love to do and i hope that comes across in what i'm telling you right now um just how much love i have for everybody who has supported the podcast in that way Okay, this episode is a really fun one and a great conversation that could have gone on for so long, and it truly could have. I know I said that a lot, but wow. Um, It's the longest one I've done to date, and it's with James Ford. He is an Army veteran. He lost his leg in combat, and he tells the story of that process, how it happened, and just the positive outlook that he just has. It's it's. It's incredible to me. It's inspiring, as other people say, and as we talk about in the podcast, how losing something like that can be so inspiring to others. Um, but at the same time, it's all because of his mental outlook and him as a human being, and not the circumstances. So I'm not gonna. Lo- I'm not gonna try to give you the story. I'm gonna let James tell you in his own words the magical things and his outlook on life that he has. So please, without any further delay, enjoy. James Ford. There we go. All right. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> right here. This is the I told you the first one that we're having whiskey on. This is it. This so is we, a good one. It dude. might get loose. Yeah, it, it might. might. <laughs> <laughs> I might have a no filter. I mean, no filter. <laughs> Apologize ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> no, no apologies necessary. Um, Let's just, I'm going to get right into it with the banger, dude. Yeah. Like we were talking beforehand. I want to hear the GQ story. Okay. Um, 
I don't know if we should talk about the other stuff beforehand, but I think the GQ story, that was so interesting. Yeah. yeah. My mind automatically like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, yeah, I guess, like, I wasn't expecting it at all. And there was, like, two or three of us. And and what's funny is this same GQ, well, I th- maybe it was a photographer, but the photographer ended up doing a story on that. Navy SEAL that changed sex not so long ago like a year or two ago oh I didn't even hear yeah, about yeah. that yeah and like really I don't know much of the details about it but I try to avoid it just cause yeah. like, you know what I mean like <laughs> I, try to, I try to just avoid that I just avoid that's probably that a smart move nowadays <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like we get like it was a bad day like in our unit it was not only my vehicle that got hit but then another another company got hit at the same same time so it's like let's rewind it's like your army correct yeah yeah so and where are you at the time afghanistan afghanistan we're in afghanistan we're near this forward operating base called Burmel, and i don't remember where the other guys were at the other company was at but we got hit they got hit like 30 minutes or an hour before us or something like that we kind of heard about it a little bit and then next thing I know, I get hit. And then, so long story short, you know, I wake up from, from surgery and I see all of us from the same unit in the same room. And I'm like the only one awake. And I'm just in shock. I'm just like. So oh. how many people is that? Uh, there was me, the guy next to me, Travis, um, Matt Miles, at least one or two other people so you got like six people six people and and you're the only one awake i'm the only one awake and like i and I, they're all your buddies like you all know them i know like i know every right single there. one of them yeah. yeah we're all like lying next to each other you know and everyone else is like passed out and i'm just like i was like i and you know it hit me hard like as soon as i woke up i was just in immediate pain i was just like really this morphine is not strong enough this morphine was not definitely not strong enough that's crazy because you know like being knocked out and having injuries before you yeah. know and stuff i do like i didn't feel anything for a little bit after like there's a little shock after you're you come to you yeah, know yeah it, first of all it feels like it's a blink of an eye whether it is or isn't so you know that happened out. that happened the, the first injury when it initially happened there was the shot there was that shock it didn't last very long for me it lasted long enough for me to make a couple judgmental decisions before I was like, Oh, I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> that's intense though. That's what I'm trying to get at. Is like, yeah. That's it. That's an, uh, man, that's an, and you don't, you don't realize like how bad the pain, how bad the injury is. Like, you know, and like what some, per, what one person's level 10 pain can be completely different from another from everybody person. Everybody else's. And now know. like, I know, experiencing that that kind of pain like i know where my level 10 is at like i'm like (laughs) i can suck up like a broken bone like it's no big deal now and so like you know yeah so anyways i'm in like this enormous amount of pain waking up and i was an enormous amount of pain going in the operating room too they were like cutting off my boot and they couldn't pull it off they had to actually cut my boot off and as soon as they cut it off my foot turned into a football. So are you conscious when they took you into uh, surgery? 
Yeah, I was yelling. I was, I was okay. screaming. I was screaming in pain. Gotcha. Like I was, it was. I wanted to like. I was asking for someone just to take the, just to grab something heavy, <laughs> and like hit me over the head and knock me out because I just Dude. I was like I will not hold any grudges if you just knock me out right now. Man, like, I just won't hold it. Let's do it. I don't want to feel it anymore. Like I I did not. I was I was begging people to do it. It was that bad. I've never been begged to be knocked out before. <laughs> and, and like, the pain was pretty bad. Like, I understand that they, <clears throat> like, they can only put you in medically induced comas for certain reasons. Because sometimes it's hard to get you back out of them. Yeah. But the pain was that bad where I wanted to be in one. I did not want to feel it anymore. Man. And, like, I just, it was the worst pain. And it, it kept me up for, like, three days at a time. That's how bad it was. I just could not sleep with that pain. And that's get, almost sometimes like that's part of the torture, like not being able to just rest. Yeah. Go to sleep. Yeah. It was torture. It was absolute torture. And then to top it off, I'm getting transported with all of my buddies and I'm the only one awake this entire time. We, the next day we get flown out to, what's it called? Uh, oh man. There's that big air force base in Afghanistan, but we got flown out to there, and we thought that we were going to stay there for, or I thought we were all going to stay there for a night, and I, I thought they were going to take me into surgery again. But what ended up happening is, like, a couple hours later, we got loaded up onto a plane and flown into Germany. And my IV, my IV, like, we're taking off, and my IV falls out, comes out of my, it gets, get like, caught on the stretcher or something like that, and it comes out of my arm. And so, like, we're taking off. And this, I don't remember if it was Navy or Air Force. I think it was Air Force. But this Air Force medic, while the plane's taken off, is putting an IV in me. And he actually successfully does it. Man, what a baller. Yeah, I was like, I wish I knew his name to this day because I'd totally be friends with him. <laughs> like this. <laughs> I'm like, totally oh, that guy, that guy was like... You know, that's impressive. You can put it, an IV in one. It is impressive. Man. I was like, that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. And so he gets it he gets an IV reestablished in me. And then um you know, and like sometimes while you're taken off from, you know, you know, foreign especially in, in, in war zones, it's like they do like this a like combat takeoff where they just like freaking skyrocket up into the so straight up in the air straight up in the air and they do that when they land too they'll just will come down like super hard Ooh, that would be the worst it's sometimes it's bad i've got not, my, not going i don't think going up would be bad in my mind going down's hard going down would be i've gotten headaches from it holy smokes i've gotten i've gotten massive headaches from it and so like we get he we get to germany and uh like it was like i don't remember how long i was there maybe like five days Six days? I don't remember. I had like two or three surgeries there, but like, like while I'm in there, it's like, I don't even remember what time it was. I don't, I had no recollection of time. But they put me on Toradol, an IV for, formula, or maybe it was Tramadol. I don't remember. It kind of worked a little bit for my pain, but I couldn't be on it for a very long time, but it, because apparently it like altered like the way your bones heal. And I, I still have yeah you know, some pain medi- like some pain medications actually do that. That's why when people that get addicted to pain yeah. like pain pills, their bones become fragile and they break super easy. Yeah, 
Yeah. And so, like, I still, at this point in time, I'm, like, a week and a half or a week or so in my injury. I had no idea what happened to my leg. All I saw was I had this huge soft cast on me with these giant rods sticking out of my leg, holding it together. And, like, a wound vacuum on there collecting the blood that was coming out of it. And so, like, I knew at the time that I was, like, I had open, I had open wounds on my leg. I just didn't know. I hadn't seen them. And so, like, GQ comes in and, like, or, like, they come, some guy comes in and was like, hey, would you like to be in a GQ article or a GQ magazine? While you've got this stuff coming out of your leg? Oh, yeah. Oh, and the, oh, this is the greatest part, too. I still had a catheter in. And I'm not the kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell it. This is totally going on here. I, no, this is perfect. I'm not, I'm not going to be shy about it at all. This is the greatest. No, this, this is, the is gra- awesome. Okay. And so I'm like, yeah, why not? Um, let's do it. Like, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, you know, you shooting some shots of us and, you know, taking our stories and whatnot and doing a story on us. And so, you know, we, they, they're in there taking photos of us while we're in the operating room. I don't know. I just remember seeing the thick pictures in the GQ magazine. Um, they did a few photos of me. They did, they, they did a, a really good photo shoot of me when the first time I used crutches and I almost passed. Like I get outside of my room and the stupid physical therapist, I'm like sitting there. I'm like, I don't know what, what it was. Maybe it was just because I hadn't moved in, a, in like a week. I just, I got to the door and I was about to pass out. And I just, I did not want to fall. Like I felt it. I was just like, I'm, I can't go any further. And this PT is like, no, you're good. And I'm like, dude, I'm blacking out, man. I'm going. And like the nurse barely gets a chair underneath me. And like they get this shot of me sitting there like this. Like I'm, I got both my crutches out to my sides and I'm like... I'm like staring off in the space and like the, the, the photo, the photojournalist takes a shot and like I look at it now because it's, it's one of the ones of me in the magazine and it looks like he was trying to look up, up my, my hospital gown. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Can I please use that as a promo for the Yeah, absolutely. Podcast? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, when I saw it, when I saw this like seven or eight months later in the magazine, I was thinking to myself, thank God. That my freaking catheter was not in that photo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that would have been the worst photo ever. Uh, or the best. Yeah, or, or the, the best. Two, like the this best. like this tube coming out from between my legs. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But there's a there's a great story so behind that catheter. And they were like, I don't know that everybody's ever said that before ever in the history of mankind. There's what? a great story behind that catheter. It's hilarious. I think it's hilarious to this day. I think it's absolutely one of the funniest things that, that's ever happened to me. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to talk. It happens, you know, stuff like this happens. And I was a young 24 year old, like, and I'm stubborn. And I think they knew it, but I just, I knew. They wanted, I asked them to take it out of me because I didn't like it. I don't like, you know what I mean? I'm like. I don't think anybody would. I feel like it took took away my, my independence, you know? And so like, well, they were like, yeah, we'll take it out. Just give us an hour. I'm like, no, you're not taking that thing out while I'm awake. I, I didn't know what it was going to feel like. I didn't know how, I don't remember them putting it in. And so like the doctor comes in and he's like, so you don't want us to take it out while you're awake. I was like, No. I know I'm going into surgery in the morning. Let's take it out while I'm under. 
He's like, that's fine. We can take it out while you're under. But they give you like a time time span. You have to go like to the bathroom within a certain certain time span after having this thing removed. And I I just I was drinking water. I was trying to like fill up my bladder so I would go in the time frame. But I was down to like the last fifteen minutes. And like I, my poor nurse, she felt so bad for me. But I felt even worse for her. She was such a sweetheart too. Like <laughs> she, like I, I like she was working with me really hard. Like and like for some odd reason, she just really like, you know, they're not assigned like individual patients. They can work through like the rooms that they're assigned to. But she was always in my room, and it was just like like she was fun to talk to and all. But I just felt really bad for her because at the last fifteen minutes, I pulled you know what people regret doing i was like bring a toilet to me i was like i'm gonna freaking squeeze out a turd (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna get get myself peed one way or another (laughs) and like (laughs) i still like had the effects of this like nerve block in my leg from the surgery that same day i think it was like one or two o'clock in the morning i don't remember it was like the wee hours of the night and like they bring it in there, they're doing stuff in there too, and I'm like sitting on this thing. So are they trying to save your leg at this point? They're like, trying to save my is leg. It, is this the surgery that's trying to save your leg? They did. So I went through like about a month and a half of surgeries, and then so you so your legs your legs there attached for the long. It was attached for like. 10 months and they're trying man they really did try a lot like, they, they, they did Holy save smokes, it that... they, in the end they they did save it um but it was like to me it was like having a 90 year old leg on a 25 year old male body it just didn't function i was about to ask you what like dylan <laughs> dealing with that as a 24 year old yeah is it is Putting that, put that in perspective for a second. It know? was like, uh, not just a twenty-four year old. So let's let's go ahead and say you're obviously active military. When you're like a young active person, yeah, and you have this leg that is just bum and doesn't do anything. Like I, when you say it doesn't do anything, what like it? I you know after I probably had like thirty something surgeries on it. Before I had them cut it off, like it was like almost every other day for that month and a half, I was having a surgery. A month and a half, you had thirty surgeries. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was in the operating table like every couple of days. It was bad. It was. You it, don't even get to come down from the medicate, like from the I anesthesia. Was so, I was so used to having you don't surgeries. Even, it probably doesn't even affect you anymore. It does that. not. I'm not even scared of them. I, they do not phase me anymore. Like I'm just like, let's go, drug me up. Like, well, okay. I have to say, like, I did. Like, I've only had surgery once in my life. I've been put under once ever. Yeah. And when I when I came to, I was like, I I told the nurse, I said, I'm really glad that I've never done drugs before, because I really like the feeling that I have They're right now. Really, like, really. When I came out, I was like super happy, and I was <laughs> I was like, dude, this is the most. And I wasn't in pain beforehand. Let's go ahead and say that. Yeah. But I came out and I went, oh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love this. Yeah, yeah. I tried to bring one, during a recent surgery. I tried to to get. Um, she must have been like sixty years old. I tried to get her phone number after one of my surgeries. 
That's funny. I I later heard from one of my friends that because I had flirted with her while I was high off these drugs, she sent me up to one of the best wards (laughs) before that. And I was just like, well, at least I got something out of it. Yeah. (laughs) But. So anyway, you're like this man, 30 surgeries. Yeah. So like. Anyways, this um, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this catheter situation. So like, I'm sitting on this like I don't even remember. I don't even know what they're called. I'm, I'm total brain fart right now. But they like bring in a toilet. It's like yeah. a bedside toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, my mom's a nurse, and so and then my grandma had. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a little chair. Yeah. Just so everybody listening knows. It's and they may not, and some of them may do, but like it's like a bucket with a toilet seat around it. With yeah, the back it has it's it look it's like almost it's like, like a, a walker toilet. It's like a walker with a toilet on. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a walker with a toilet. It's got foam handle, like foam little <laughs> yeah. grips for your hands. Yeah, you could actually use it as a walker and then sit down and then and go to the bathroom. bathroom it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now. And like, so they they brought it to me because it was just too much energy for me to walk to get my. To get on crutches and walk to the bathroom. I probably would have passed out. Um, let's be real. And so, like, the nurses, there's, like, two of them in there. And the one that, like, has been spending a lot of time with me, um, she seemed like she cared a lot about me. I wish I knew who she was. You know like, what, man? I mean, there's, and I say this a lot because my mom is the exact person, when it comes to nurses like that, uh that care about people and there's a lot of them that do it just for the money and then there's, they stand out yeah they but the ones that time. do it that really care man yeah. it's like it's built in them like that yeah so she probably really cared about you she did she really 100% when so like this 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 catheter thing I'm like I get I, I obviously you get it turned out and like I still my numb my leg is like numb from this nerve block still and it like partially numbs your groin up and so I had no idea that my bladder was pushing piss out too and I'm like sitting there I was like supposed to be holding the cup like the the little bedside piss cup and like it just came flying out all over the floor and I was like oh god Oh, no. <laughs> like, I like, I felt so bad for this nurse that like really cared about me because it was really obvious because she had to clean it up. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I was just like, I felt horrible. So you can watch it, but you can't feel it. You're like, oh, that's coming from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's me doing that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I'm doing it, but I'm that was that. definitely me. <laughs> I was just so happy that I did it, but I felt so bad at the same time because I knew if I didn't do it, that they were going to put another catheter in me. And like, there's just, I, I had, to, I had to go one way and I just felt so, so bad. This but, is your pure will to not have another catheter. This is my pure will to not have another catheter in me. I was dead set on not getting something else shoved up there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so like, and I, and like, I, I, they gave me, this was the funny part. She was like hilarious too because 
they gave me this like like thing to exercise my lungs with, or she did, along with <laughs> there was this goober dude that was with her, but I didn't know how to use it. Like you like apparently you like blow into it and like exercises your lungs when you're like bedridden like that. And my, when I saw this, I'll try to keep this PG. You you can say whatever you want okay. on this podcast. I tell people to talk the way they normally talk. So like when I when I saw this, I, I immediately asked her. I was like, "Am I supposed to give this a, a BJ?" Like I didn't know how to use it. <laughs> I honestly had no idea like how to use this thing. <laughs> and like her face turned beet red. <laughs> it was like I started laughing so hard, and I was just like, "I have no idea what I'm doing." Like. Show me how to use this, and she shows me. But uh, like she, she stuck it out. She like cared so much. I, I wish I would have remembered her name or like had her email address or something like that. Yeah, I don't know, if, you know, and like, but she like cared about me so much. She actually came in on her day off when I was flying when I was flying out of there to transport me out. Dude, that's amazing. And I just yeah, like I think there's a picture of us in GQ. Like she's like transporting me out in the magazine. And, like, because she's there, I got, like, this huge, like, she just made me, like, really happy. I had this huge smile on my face because she, like, cared so much. It was really cool. Like, and nurses like that are really hard to come by. There's a few of them that are in the Army hospital, like, in, in every hospital, actually. But I've encountered a few of them Yeah, that, that like, that really, really, that they just stand out. But anyway, so I get to, like, I fly to Walter Reed, and I stay there one night. And then... The next morning, I fly to Brook Army Medical Center over in San Antonio. And, like, I don't know. At this point, I have no idea because I, I got we all got separated from everyone else in the unit. And the way that, like, they coordinated us, they, they spread us out, is they put us at hospitals that were close to our home. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I'm assuming that they're just trying to take care of everybody and get them close to their family. Yeah, that's and, what, that was their primary goal. Yeah, And so, so I get... So, just for, in, in my mind, how did this all happen in the first place? Like, how do you get to this point? Like, what were you doing? How were you attacked? Like, how did this happen? So, like, we, I was with an engineer unit, and, you know, our primary mission is to do route clearance. We're doing route clearance, and we're getting ambushed a lot, and... In my unit, I kind of, I accidentally stood out um, <laughs> on purpose, not, not on purpose, like I wasn't trying to stand out, but like as an E4, I ended up running our squads through squad lanes, Yeah. and I came in second place in our, in our battalion, entire battalion as an E4. I wasn't even a non-commissioned officer, and so like I don't remember what happened between there. I got sent to... The promotion board got promoted, anyways, and like I immediately like sort of became well known and like crazy <laughs> because I wasn't, you know, I had I had combat experience at that point, and you know I, I didn't take it lightly, you know, I I took you know a little bit of pride in it. I I well I knew that it was survival, you know, it was like you know I wanted to survive. Um, and so if that meant running drills with my soldiers after I got promoted, I would run drills with them, uh, 
mounting a 240 or a 50 cal machine gun up on top of the hill with all the ammo and the tripod. And I would make them run everything up there just because, you know, I wanted to run, I wanted them to run drills. And but you would do all the drills with them. I did the drills with them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did the drills with them. And, you know, they, they kind of hated me for it. But, you know, it was kind of... Uh, there was another guy, Sergeant Staff Sergeant Wolford, that he he's... I beat him, and he was like... I beat him in the squad, squad lanes that we did. But <clears throat> there was some, like... I was with, so Aaron, you know, was, we were, oh, it was Bagram Airfield. That's where, that's where we flew out of, Bagram Airfield. So we were there for a little while doing some stuff, um, and Aaron got transferred out. I was under Aaron, and when Aaron left, like, the platoon morale just, like, dropped. Really? Yeah, like, you know, because there's, like, just certain people, you know, and, like, Man, no, I, yeah, that I kind of it, form, yeah. like, the backbone of each, each unit, and. And he was one of those people, and like, well, some people are just so good at leading naturally. Yeah, yeah. And and you become tied to that person. So when, like, if you're with somebody for a certain period of time, and then that person leaves, and that's your leader, you're like, oh no, man. we we. I'm not gonna say his name, but, but that get, that's a testament to him. It is. Yeah, he's yeah. a great guy. Um, and I'm not gonna say this other guy's name, but we got a new like a replacement. That's a tough spot to be in. You got to replace someone like that, and he was yeah, he was a total douchebag. <laughs> like this guy was the nerdiest. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. Before. No, he was <laughs> awful. Like, this guy was like the nerdiest. Like he, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like how he made it through OCS, like officer candidate school. Because I'm like, dude, this guy's a goof. I'm like, <laughs> like, like when he would talk to you, he would like shake his head up and down, like, and it was just like. I can't take you seriously, man. Like, <laughs> like you're such a nerd. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're trying to do. Like, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, he was a goof. But like, you know, we still had our platoon sergeant, you know, and he was great. But then, like, I just once the morale started dropping, I I kind of requested to get out of there. I needed I needed to get back and you know because they 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 weren't doing combat missions out of there, and I needed to get back into combat missions and so I got so back you just to, really wanted to be in combat. I missions. just really wanted to be in combat. I wanted to feel productive. So uh, is that is that what it is when it comes? Because I've had several friends that, I mean, they love it. Yeah, they love it, and it's I know it's not the violence and it's not it's not the you know getting it's, shot at. It's there's something else to it, and and so. The way you said that right there made sense to me in my yeah. head. It's like, oh, you feel productive. Yeah, because you're being, you're a part of a team. And like, even though sometimes you do dumb tasks, you know, it's like, that's why I asked for the transfer. Because I wanted to be a part of a team, not a, not a team that was dysfunctional. And that's, yeah. that's the way that team gotcha. kind of held together. And like, That makes perfect sense. Um, so I got, first I got transferred to Jalalabad, where I think they originally were looking for Osama bin Laden for a while. And it was like, it's like the hottest part of of Afghanistan. Like, it feels like Iraq there. It's kind of nuts. And the unit was like micromanaging stuff. 
And that really, really annoyed me. That really, really annoyed me. I hate my, I hate micromanagement of all things. I don't think anybody really does. Yeah, you know? like it ticked me off. And so uh, I don't remember what it was. There was some type of evaluation, and I, I just was on there. I was just like, this is bullshit work. <laughs> like, and it, like it made it to like the top of the chain of command, and like no one knew who it was because it was all anonymous, right? And so it sent the entire like everyone in that at Jalalabad in our unit. It sent everyone through training, retraining, leadership training. <laughs> well, at the same time, like a week or so prior to this, Sergeant Wolford's team leader, they had been getting into some of the heaviest gunfights. So we, uh, they were in an area of Afghanistan called uh, Ambush Alley. And it's like really well known. I've actually heard that name before. It is a fun place. It's like the Wild <laughs> West. I don't know that most people would say fun, but you it, say fun. It was like, I thought it was in the Wild West. Like it was hands down. Like Why, do, why is it when I say that I get the picture of like Tombstone the movie? Because. Is yeah, it like that? Yeah. Yeah. There's like Fox. It's like, imagine Washington State. But with the mountains have foxholes in them. So it's like evergreen trees, but there's fighting positions behind them that you can't see. Holy smokes. It's like, it is like the Wild West. It is, it was something else. And so like, but anyway, so Sergeant Wolford's team leader, <clears throat> not going to say his name, goes on leave, <laughs> goes on his R&R, R&R leave. And he was a complete goober too. I don't know why Sergeant Wolford kept him. Um, and, he, and while he's on leave, he checks himself into a mental hospital. And the platoon sergeant of that platoon that was in the heaviest gunfights over there, they were at, they were stationed at Organi. Um, visits is visiting Jalalabad like a week or so after this, after he checks himself into a mental hospital, and we're also going through this training. And so I catch the platoon sergeant off to the side, and I'm like, "Hey, you need a team leader." And he's like, yes. He's like, you want to come and get getting our replacement? And I'm like, if you can pull the if you can pull the strings, I'm coming. I'm packing my bags. And he's like, go pack your bags. I'll pull the strings. And so I flew out with him um, again. This was this was my second transfer in Afghanistan. I flew out with him, and we get stuck at Kandahar Air Base, and. I'm like, I'm so eager to get there with Sergeant... I was so excited to be with Sergeant Wolford. You know, to be, like, a part of a, a cohesive unit. And we got stuck there because there was no flights leading to Organy. And so I was, in the, I was in the mess hall eating dinner one night. And I was talking to some, some Blackhawk pilots. <clears throat> well, it's probably been long enough. I don't think I'll get in trouble for this. <laughs> but um I thought I I thought legitimately that I pulled like a like what you hear about those like stories in like Vietnam and World War Two, like those soldiers going AWOL to get back to the units. Yeah. I thought I had pulled one of these off in the mess hall. And so I'm talking to these pilots and I had no idea until like after they agreed to it that they were medevac pilots. And so like medevac pilots, when they're flying to another base, they're not supposed to transport people. And, you know, in case that I think it's in case they called out, I'm not quite hundred percent sure or anything like that, but 
we so i ended up asking i I don't know if i don't remember maybe i gave them my dessert i don't remember (laughs) i might have bribed them i honestly don't remember (laughs) but i was like hey you know we're trying to you guys are flying to oregony tomorrow dude we're trying to fly to oregony too and he i was like what are the chances you know y'all can you know give us a a ride, you know, a hitchhike. So you like hitchhiking. We hitchhiked on a that. military aircraft. No one. I I get back to Sergeant Vin. I can't. I don't even want to say his name. I we get back and I tell him and I'm like, hey, we got a ride to Oregon Heat tomorrow morning. We got to pack our bags and be on the airfield at 6 a.m. over here. You know, these pilots or these helicopters. And he's like, how'd you do it? And I was like, well, I ran into some medevac pilots, and they agreed to like take us on. And so, like, we're out there with all of our gear. You're not even supposed to have weapons on the, the Army's medevac, you know. You know, we got our all of our weapons <laughs> and our luggage. It's like, a ton of luggage. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> yeah, this is, like, the, there was no manifest of us being on this flight. So if we crashed or got shot out of the sky, no one would have known that we were on it. And we ended up, yeah, yeah. the pilot's like, we're getting you there. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, cool, man. I appreciate it. You know? <laughs> and then, like, while we're on the plane, the platoon started, you know, he's like, this is the kind of NCOs we need. And I'm like, yeah. You know? I'm like, I was like, I just want to get there, like, and do something. I'm I'm tired of being bored and, like, not, not being a part of a cohesive unit. But we get there, and... Um, Sergeant Wolford's so freaking happy that I'm there. Like, <laughs> we the first night there, I stayed up all night with him and made ghillie suits. <laughs> 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 I had a friend. Uh, that's funny. A <laughs> friend, some some friend of ours, ended up somehow we ended up getting Jägermeister in the mail in Afghanistan. And so Wolford and I were sitting there. I don't this know how that works? I don't even know how it got through the mail. Yeah, but you know, I'm not going to say who mailed it. I think I know who. D- mailed d- it. Don't do that. But I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. cool that he did. Yeah, yeah, and like, but so like, everyone was kind of like sipping on it. But we ended up like staying up all night making ghillie suits, and like I was like right across from him. And then we ended up going outside at like what was it two o'clock in the morning. And we're like chasing camel spiders around to try to catch the biggest one that we could catch. It was just like the two most adult children that, that the most, the, the, the people that everyone feared in the, in the entire battalion were like acting like the biggest adult children. Running around trying to chase catch yeah. spiders. <laughs> catch camel spiders. Yeah. Of all things. <laughs> yeah. But... Oh man! So is this this is leading up to this, this thing? Is, this is leading up to where I got, I yeah. got So we get in there and like we had some some intense gunfights. Like we had a, a a marker list on our on our RG thirty one of how many rocket propelled grenades hit hit the vehicle, and then we had on the other side we had a, a little marker list of how many guns gunfights we've been in. That actually hit the hit the vehicle. I actually hit the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, like we, we got in some ambush alley was intense. Like we, we let the one time the first sergeant rolled around with us and he got into one of the gunfights with us and the gunner on the vehicle, an RPG, RPG hit the gunner's shield 
and knocked his weapon off. And the first sergeant jumped out of the vehicle. Like, I never expected this from the first sergeant. And their bullets are flying all over the place from both directions, from the hills. And the first sergeant just jumps out of the vehicle and grabs a weapon and gets back in. And I'm just like, all right, that's his first time getting shot at. I'm like, it's like, (laughs) you know, you don't know how people are going to react. It doesn't matter what rank they are. I imagine it's a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, your first time getting shot at, it's like, you know, it kind of, you have to like look back at it and be like, whoa, we're getting shot at. You know, you kind of have to like rethink, you know, cool yourself down and kind of think about stuff. And there was a couple of people that were like freaked out about it. I imagine everybody just has a natural reaction to that stuff, though. You Everyone know, has like, their own. It's like a natural, natural thing that that um, it you know you do it, and it's hard for them to break through that barrier. Yeah, you know, you think you would, and you would, you know, uh, you know, CT. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when I was talking to him, he he was he put it in perspective of, that was really cool. It's like you know, you do enough reps over and over and over again. But if somebody breaks in your house, and yeah. you're trying to put that code into your safe to get your gun out. Oh, that's why I don't. How are you going? Like, how are you going to perform under that sort of pressure? Yeah. Like, you know, you do enough reps so that hopefully muscle memory takes over. But if you don't, you're going to be shaken. And it, how can you really rep being shot at? Yeah, it's like I think because I had been in combat prior, I knew. Yeah. That going to Afghanistan, because it was right when, it was in 2007. It was like right when, it was after Operation Red Wings. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like less than a year after Operation Red Wings. And I watched the news enough to know that it was the Wild West. Like this was going to be a lot more combat than what we saw in Iraq. A lot more gunfights, a lot more explosions. And, you know, I got a couple, a couple of purple hearts, you know, and so I, I knew, you know, what combat was like, cause I've, I've had mortar rounds in Iraq land like 30 feet behind me, you know, and I've, I've been in situations, you know, I've been shot at in Iraq. Um, I've been blown up more times in Iraq than I have in Afghanistan. Um, witnessed more people getting blown up. I was part of a mass casualty situation. Where a suicide car bomber drove up behind us in Iraq and blew up. It was the, almost the entire platoon. Um, hey man, you've seen lots of violence. I've seen a lot of a lot of combat, um, and so like I, I kind of like mentally was already ready for Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and that's why like I worked my soldiers really hard beforehand. Like I wanted to make sure that they, you know, I, I didn't take it lightly. <clears throat> and then so I get to Sergeant Wolford's platoon. And, like, our immediate gunfight, the first gunfight we get into, I'm just like, these 50 cows aren't doing it. I'm like, this is not enough, Sergeant Wolford. Like, this isn't, this is crazy. We're just shooting in the trees, and we don't even, we're just shooting at muzzle flashes and smoke that we see. We don't, we're not hitting, we don't even know if we're hitting anything. So we get back, and, like, a few days later, we ended up putting, like, three or four Mark 19s inside of our, on our convoy, which Mark 19s are, fully automatic grenade launchers and like <laughs> it was I, I i threw out the idea to sergeant wolford i was just like i'm just like i'm not here to to screw around if people are going to get in a gunfight with us i want to jack them up and so we rolled around and and we we started rolling around on purpose trying to get in gunfights after that 
and we we would get in gunfights. Like we would, we knew that that sometimes like we would drive slow on purpose into the into certain ambush alleys, into ambush sections, just to try to give them enough time to prep. And so like we got into one. It, oh man, what was that? Uh, it was a rook cop. It was a combat outpost. And that base, after I left, got they tried to overrun it. Um, <clears throat> they drove a suicide jingle truck. It's like the size of a semi-truck. A, a suicide car bomb into the front gate of it and tried to overrun the base. Whoa. It, it was, like, massive. Um, like, that, that base got attacked, I want to say, at least once or twice a week. And it was probably just a little south. Probably, like, 25 miles south of... What was dubbed the deadliest place in Afghanistan? So it just kind of gives you perspective where I was at. It's like the little ways, fifty ways, you know, twenty-five miles north of this, the deadliest place in Afghanistan. They had the most bombs dropped on it in this in this valley, and um, the cop was behind it, and then Organy, and we patrolled between Organy and Burmel. Burmel was kind of closer to the Pakistan border, <coughs> but. uh so we we you know ambush out was right there, and we we could have driven. I don't even remember what that place was called. I always bring forward it, but we we got into one. We we drove to Zurich Cop one one a lot. We drove there one night, and on the way back the next morning, we're driving back, and they ambushed us from a different section, from a different hilltop this time. And, and they're really good. Sometimes if we get into if they disable one of our vehicles. They'll fight us for like a good 30 minutes, disappear, and show up on another hill. They'll try to like, you know, flank us or whatever. But, and when that happens, you're like positioned on the ground and like you get in gunfights and bullets are like landing next to your feet and stuff like that. And like, event- first you're like, oh, that's, that was close, but then you get used to it. And then like, <clears throat> this, uh, this one gunfight, though, I remember it specifically because they shot an RPG at us. And I, I, and I think it might have been like a Chinese RPG because it wasn't going as fast as it normally does. <laughs> you just remember it in slow motion. It was going so slow. I was, I was TCing uh, and Sergeant Wolford was driving. Uh, and... Uh, I was going so sl- I was like slow down sort of all for he's like why I was like I don't want to get hit by this RPG and I can see its trajectory <laughs> that's, that's, that's how slow it was going that's how slow <laughs> and so like we you know that gunfight too they were I'm pretty sure some of the people that we were fighting were Chechnyans and, and Chechnyan fighters are really really ballsy fighters they like they actually aim <laughs> 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 bullet holes will hit next to your face in the window like hands down you'll look over and there'll be like three bullet holes or three bullet smacks right on the window next to your face and in this in this gunfight um that happened i had one bullet hole hit blow right in my neck area on the window and I get, we have, on the RG31s, we have portholes on the windows so we can open up and stick our guns out and start shooting at them. And so I'm just, like, sitting there with my M4, you know, I'm, like, crouched in there. One of my other guys has a saw back there. And we got all the Mark 19s just rocking on this hill. 
like we were jacking them up big time like it was just you could see the explosions all over the place it looked like fourth of july in afghanistan it was it was amazing <laughs> and like they had these rifle fire grenades much like ours and one hit the window right in front of my face it smacked the window and blew up on the wind on the outside of the window right in front of my face and knocked me out on the floor in the front of the vehicle and then like i woke up i don't know if Sergeant wolford was kicking me i don't remember or he was pushing me i don't know it didn't last very long but i got back up and like rpg was still flying through the freaking air <laughs> I'm like, I was like, is that the same one? He's like, yeah, it's the same one. I'm like, that thing's broken. <laughs> we were going so slow, we totally avoided it. Like, it was, it was, I don't know what happened. But uh, later on, some of the guys from Oregon E went up and patrolled behind us and cleared that hillside. And they were like, dude, there was blood everywhere. There was blood. They were like, you guys, you guys, Jack, we could hear them on the radios saying they had like, whole bunch of like kia and a whole bunch of whole bunch of dudes that were wounded and um so we just kept the mark 19s ever since then and then so we'd roll around one night we were rolling up to zero cop it was in the middle of the night and zero cop got ambushed and so we just we kind of rolled around the perimeter of it we were getting ready to jack them up but as soon as they knew we were coming they were gone as soon as they saw us coming they, they did not mess with us anymore um there was one night too one morning where we left (laughs) this little tiny combat outpost combat outpost had one shitter on it we leave one morning and we get word from them that a rocket hit the shitter (laughs) a rocket someone they fired a rocket they hit the shitter and so like we heard it over the radio they were like no no one was injured in it we made an internal joke in our vehicle. We're like, that would have been a shitty day. <laughs> You're on your way to the shitter and it blows up in front of you. That would not have been a way to go, dude. Dude, that would have been horrible. Yeah. yeah. It would have been awful. But, so like, we get to Bermel. I think we're like seven months into the deployment. And we have a gyro cam up, up in the air. We're like watching the area, you know, throughout the night. And we, we, we do that at some of the bases we go to just to look to see if we can watch, see people planting, you know, IEDs in the road or, or planting, you know, planting oh, ambush. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same camera that you see on Apache helicopters. Yeah. We can, we launch it up in the air and a boom. And uh, this, uh, we see a guy, I don't remember if we actually saw him or I don't remember, but somehow we knew or maybe they saw it on a blimp or... A helicopter, a plane saw it in the middle of the night because it was kind of far. Um, someone planted an IED down the road. There was a Green Beret operating base that was closer to the Pakistan border. And so we went ahead and patrolled that route in the morning. We were going towards them. And we were looking for this IED on that road. Well, our mine detector, the vehicle, ended up, it didn't pick it up. And so we were the second vehicle in the convoy and like, we're all passed out. Like it's Afghanistan. It's, it's literally like the wild west. You know, you're just not going to stay awake for these four hour trips, you know, out in the middle of these mountains. It's just not going to happen. 
And I, I like had my leg, my left leg, like propped up on the seat across from me. Barry was right next to me. A few other soldiers, and Ash Down was on the gunner. But uh, I was sitting there, and I like dusted off my glasses because it was like super dusty. And I, I had just put them back on, and just leaned, I had just leaned my head back, and it was just like, bam And I was just like. You know, ears are ringing, and I'm like, you know, like I felt my head hit the top of the vehicle inside the ceiling, like it just smashed in there. Oh, um, I'm pretty sure my my helmet cracked. I I don't remember very well. Um, and then like my first initial thought was, we have like three cases of C4 inside this vehicle. We have like two or three rockets. We have a whole bunch of spools of, of deck cord. I have an assault bag with grenades in it. I have my I had my weapon in between my legs that was loaded with a grenade in it. And I'm like, we just got nailed big time. If something goes off in here, none of us are going to make it. None of us are going to... It's not going to be a breath in any of us. Like, it was an instinct reaction. I dove for the fire extinguisher. Like, I just dove for it. I was not going to sit in that vehicle while it was on fire with all that explosives. Even though the fire may not have set it off, you know, it was just an, it was an instinct reaction. Like, I just immediately snapped into it. And I grabbed the fire extinguisher, and when this... When I kind of came to it, I thought we were, like, under ambush at the same time. I don't think we were. But I grabbed someone else's weapon. I think I grabbed Barry's weapon. And I thought it was mine. And I immediately opened up a porthole and I stuck it out the window. And I was like looking for something to shoot at. And meanwhile, like I'm like sitting there. I'm like starting to feel my pain in this leg. I'm like, holy shit. My leg is jacked up. <laughs> like it is bad. So you're starting to realize that right now. I was starting to realize it at that moment. It took, yeah. you know, like almost an entire minute for me to realize like how bad it was and like it was i think it bent the frame of the vehicle because every single one of us climbed out the escape escape uh, the escape hatch and like they guess all on a stretcher you know it's like a few minutes out but you know and then the rest is you know got to taking the bamsey and all that catheter good story so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i mean what did you get hit by? Like, do you even know? Yeah, and, and yeah. And how did you get, like, where was the rest of the people coming to get, like, attack you? I don't know if there was anyone there that was actually attacking us. I think they planted it and just left. Oh, gotcha. Was, and so, um, the reason why our mine detective didn't pick it up was because it was like an improvised landmine without using metal. And somehow, I don't know if it was a shape charge that they made the IED penetrated right between my legs in the vehicle. Golly, man. Um, and, and my weapon was completely destroyed. I didn't know. You didn't even know. You grabbed somebody else's I weapon grabbed somebody and you're else's, like, my weapon shoot was up. gone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, <clears throat> with this, and this is this is something that hit my brain because I can take, I act like I'm 12 anyway. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah, so do I. So uh, <laughs> you're sitting there like at 24, super young. You're 24 at this time? Yeah. So you're 24, and you make a conscious decision, like fast-forwarding now, to take your leg off. Yeah. yeah. Not try anymore. 
Like, is, is is there never any chance of this movement coming back in your leg? Are you there just was, dragging around, or how's it working? There was never a chance. So I, I um, when I got the Brook Army Medical Center, they took off um, some of my soft casts to look at my foot in front of me, because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to see it. And while they were doing that, part of my foot came off. Part of my foot died and came off in front of me. Wow. And so, like, I immediately... Like, went into emergency surgery. Um, <clears throat> they only had uh, one anesthesiologist on step, on call that night. And they needed two to give you a nerve block. And so, you know, they went in there. They, they were going to clean that, that whole flesh wound out where the foot kind of came off and cut, cut, cut dead pieces off. Um, that way I didn't get any infections. And they ended up taking the rods out of my leg and shoving a rod from my knee all the way down to my ankle through the tibia to hold the bone together. Yeah. And so when I woke up, I, I went through the surgery without a nerve block. When I woke up, oh, my dude, air, my, I lost, I, I was gasping for air. It hurt so bad. I, I just could not breathe from the amount of pain that I was in. I was trying to breathe. It felt like, it felt, like I'm grabbing my chest right now. Like, it was bad. It that's was so intense. bad. It that was, is very intense. I, it, I've never been. I've never. I didn't know that pain could exist like that. Yeah. I really, honestly, had no idea. It felt like I had fell, fallen out of. I've done this a couple times growing up, where I've fallen out of trees, landed on my butt, and the air gets knocked out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and that's what it felt like coming out of these surgeries. <clears throat> like, but, but it, that's just because of pain. But it's you're because not of your pain air knocked out of you. Yeah, it's because of pain. It was so bad. It like it, it put my nervous system into shock. Man. And yeah. And so like now like I have this huge pain tolerance. Like I've I've broke my toes before and I will still hike 10 miles on them. Well, I mean, and this is what I say about pain tolerance. I'm like pain tolerance is not being on a medication and being to being able to tolerate pain. Yeah. It is literally knowing that it hurts. Yeah. And then being able to like, okay. Yeah. Like, you, you can feel the pain. Like yeah, you, I know it's there. You feel every moment of it. Yeah. And then being able to be like, well, that's normal. Yeah, yeah. That, that, it, it's different than, than when you take, even taking an Advil is, like, even taking an Advil for it, I go, okay, that's not a pain tolerance at that point. Like, you're, yeah. you're masking a little bit of it. Yeah. Like, so, like, when I get pain medication now, like, they most, in the United States, because they're trying to get everyone off opioids, like, <laughs> yeah. most of the time they'll give you, like, me, they'll give me, like, Tylenol 3, and I'm like, this, this doesn't do anything for me. I'm like, you know, it gets But me. you've had so much stuff running through your veins, you don't even know. And I'm like, well, so, they ended up putting me on, this is how bad the pain was, they ended up putting me on Dilaudid. I don't it, know what that is. Um, so, Dilaudid is, so, you know what methadone is? Yeah? I've been on methadone for pain. Um, basically I've been on heroin for pain, yeah. pain control. All right on. <laughs> um, <Full> deal. <laughs> yeah. I'm full throttle. Like they didn't, they were, they were like, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. Um, so, so like Dilaudid is like one step under methadone. I was on methadone for like a month and then I was, on Oh, Dilaudid. they paired it back. Yeah. And then that's I, good. I took myself off. So no, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So like, this is the the crazy thing is that you you decided to take your leg off. Yeah. What does that mentally do? I was ready for it. You were ready for it. I wanted it. Yeah. At the time, I wanted it. So you were prepared, and you just like 
Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, there was no, there's no remorse or anything like that with your, so you know. Dr. Ficky, um, he's Colonel Ficky at the time. He's now actually the chief of orthopedic surgery and the school over at John Hopkins University. Um, foot and ankle specialist. I didn't know how bad it was until I saw him. I asked him, like, I requested to see him, and I was like, how bad you know, how bad is this injury? Like, I know what's going on, but no one said anything to me. Like, I'm obviously I got fractures. I just don't know what the heck's going on. And like, he like had the most, the remorseful face I've ever seen on anyone in my life. Like he looked like he legitimately felt bad. He had to tell me the truth. That's what I wanted. And he was just like, he looks at me and he goes, and he looks down. He doesn't, he couldn't even look me in the eyes at first. Because Sergeant Ford, <clears throat> I just got to tell you, this is the most amount of fractures I've ever seen in someone's lower foot. And I was like, well, is there like an estimate? And he's like, he's like, yeah, you probably have around 200 fractures. And it's all from like ankle through the foot. It just completely shattered my foot. And my heel bone, <clears throat> he, I had like a type 5 community calcaneal fracture. Which basically means it exploded. And the heel bone came up the back of my ankle where the Achilles tendon. And like it like shattered that much. It came up through up in the back of my calf muscle. It was like and like he was trying to save it. Like he, Man, obviously, man. They they, he, they did that many surgeries in that long a time. It, and and you've got like basically like a dead leg i guess right it was yeah i mean it was alive but it didn't function that's what i'm saying like yeah, you're just it, dragging it with it, you it didn't have a i didn't have a heel underneath the cut or a cushion underneath the heel um so if i walked barefoot it was bone skin floor and that wasn't fun <laughs> that was not fun at all man none of this sounds fun and like what they did to close that wound on my foot where the foot died and fell off they did a sural artery skin flap it was like a 10-hour surgery and like there's a return blood vessel called the sural artery and runs up the, the side of your calf muscle. And they took a chunk of skin with it and took the artery and reversed, flipped the artery around and used that chunk of skin off the back of the calf muscle to close the wound on the foot. That's so amazing, man. And like, it, listen, it was like, gross. It was so wow. gross. It looked like a gerbil. Yeah, but how amazing is that that they can do that? Yeah, they literally just invented the surgery right then and there. It was a team of... Uh, Six plastic surgeons and like four orthopedic doctors in that surgery. Wow! To, to do that, um, and it took them an uh, it took them an entire month and a half to figure out what they were going to do. That's why I had so many surgeries because they were just constantly cleaning it out, dressing changes, constantly doing this, that, and that. Because like little little by little, like more of my foot was like starting to die off, and that's why they were always doing surgeries. Dude. So how do you stay positive through all this stuff? Because I mean, I, I just I met you. I met you not long from this date right now. Yeah, but I mean, Kim always talks about you being like this pot, like such a. You've got such a great attitude in life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so far through this whole story, what I've listened to, all I've heard is there is no negative in anything. There like, wasn't. When I'm looking at you in your face, like 
just so everybody knows, I'm looking at you and I'm listening to you talk and you're telling this story and it's intense. Like my heart starts beating faster. I can feel it. You know, yeah. you know, I'm, well, I'm, I totally understand all, every war movie that I've ever watched is all played through my head. And then at the same time, you know, you decide to, I'm, I'm picturing myself at 24. Even yeah. now. I mean, shoot, even now. Let's tell me I got to lose an arm or a, a leg or something. And then you've got to cut it off. And to make that decision, I would like to think I would, but I, I don't know. So I, I, I'm thinking about. I gave him a chance. Like the way, I, the way I came to that decision, he woke me up in the middle of one of my surgeries. Um, it was like maybe two weeks over there at Brooklyn Medical Center. He woke me up fresh into the surgery and was like, <laughs> I was high off the, obviously off the surgery drugs. And he's like, this thing's really bad. Sergeant Ford, do you want me to amputate? And I flipped him off. <laughs> I totally gave him the bird. <laughs> I think I gave him two birds. I think I did it with each hand. That's awesome. But I felt bad. I was like, when I, when I came to, and later on that evening, I was like, I just flipped off my surgeon in the middle of surgery. It's kind of funny, actually. But, like, I'm like, I need to apologize because he's my surgeon. <laughs> like, you imagine what he could do to me? <laughs> I was like, this guy could accidentally kill me. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like flipping him off. <laughs> like, I felt so bad. Uh, like, like, and he was a cool sport about it. He, he didn't, and like, I didn't tell him at the time, but in my mind, I was like, I want to give him a chance. I want to see what he can do with this leg. So I don't know what it's going to be like. I know what it's like now, but I don't know what it's going to be like a year from now. Yeah. And so I, I gave him a chance. And like at the end of at the end of it, you know, what, I remember trying to keep track with how many stitches and staples I had like everyone else does. And like, I just, I couldn't do There's it. There's no way you can count that high. Dude. I know it was over 250. I, that's all I know. I know it was somewhere over 250. And he ended up putting... The end result, I had three bolts running from the back of my heel. Um, two went forward through some of the metatarsals and the heel bone. Mm-hmm. And then one went through the heel bone and into the ankle. And it all, that's what held That's me. what's holding your leg together. And it just basically acted like... You just got a bunch of nuts and bolts. It was like a living there. prosthetic leg. Yeah. But it was worse because it was so deformed... For the rest of my life, I was gonna have to have custom shoes made, and it just—it just at 24 years old and trying to be an active and positive individual, I saw it better to have the leg gone and have a prosthetic. So you're like overjoyed. You're almost happy. Like I was happy moment. Yeah, through all those surgeries and all that stuff, you're you're happy to just have closure in the issue. It was a closure. Yeah, it was a closure point. Yeah. Um, I, so I mean, this, this, and he, he does this with every amputee too. He tries to talk, like they don't really try to talk you out of it, but they want you to know what you're getting into. And so like they make you go tour the place where everyone gets their prosthetic legs from. Um, That's probably a good idea. It's a really good idea. But then like he brings in an amputee. I think he does a different amputee every time to come talk to you about it. And this amputee, it was the funniest freaking thing in the world. This amputee comes in. He's a tall, slender guy. And uh, he's like, so I heard you wanted to cut your leg off. And I was like, yep. 
He's like, well, I can tell that one's jacked up. He's like, is there anything wrong with your other leg? And I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. He's like, cut it off. You won't miss it. (laughs) (laughs) So two weeks later, it was gone. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, you won't miss it. Oh, dude. Oh, man. He wasn't wrong. I was waiting for something different in the story. (laughs) He wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. He was not wrong at all. Oh, man. (laughs) It was hilarious. So what's it like now, like, having a prosthetic, like, like, hanging out, walking around, like, I mean, you do athletic stuff, like, you don't look like, honestly, talking to you and, like, being around, doesn't even feel like you have one, unless you, like, visually see it, Mm -hmm. you know, say the truth. I've been told by a lot of amputees that I have like one of the most natural gates that that most amputees could have. I just kind of work with the prosthetic. You know, it's like I just let a lot of amputees, they end up like a lot of amputees. I know they fight it a little bit, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like I'm just going to swing with this thing. Well, you haven't fought anything so far. You have to, I mean, you, you, you have to let it do its job. Yeah. You can't fight it. If you fight it, you know, that's when you're going to have problems. And so, like, when I first got it, before I even had a running leg, I had the same style foot. This is like a 10-pound foot. I ran 10 miles in. Today. Dude, even when you just picked up your leg right now, just for so people know, you picked up your leg with a prosthetic leg on it, and I literally yeah. almost can't tell that you're picking up your prosthetic leg. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, like, so that's, like, you know... It's it's an interesting experience, but like now it's become so a part of me. It's like I'm like the pickiest person in the world about my legs. Like I can tell, <laughs> I can tell when it's like just slightly off. Like I am, I am yeah. incredibly picky. They hate working with me because I'm like, you know, it's not good enough. You know, I, I just, you know, it has to be, it has to be perfect, fitting for me and. You know, I get really stubborn about that. Um, it's not nothing nothing they're doing, but I'm just so used to it. It feels more, the better it is, the more it feels one with you. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, it's like your car. You know, if the alignment's off on it, it's not going to be fun to drive. You know, if the alignment's off on my foot, it's not going to be fun to walk in. Well, what's crazy impressive is, is like, you're... Like, your mental outlook on it. Yeah. Like, what I'm hearing right now is like, I, I, I don't... I really don't think you realize, <laughs> you realize, like, what everybody else is looking at it from the outside and hearing this, you're like, okay, you've lost a leg. And you know, it would be perfectly natural to have, like, down points in time. Oh, yeah. Have you ever hit those little down points? Oh, like, a- absolutely. absolutely. You know, the, the depression part of it, I guess. I, I think... I had more depression when the leg was still attached. Really? I think I did. You mean like, so uh, during the injury part? During the so injury when you're talking about 30-something days? For oh, almost a whole year. Oh, so so this it lasted is a-, a year before they cut it off. Wow. I gave, I after they saved it, and like, it was around the six-month mark after the injuries when they put the bolts on the foot. Yeah. And I wanted to give him a few more months just to try it out. I just had to give him a chance. A few more months, maybe a year. Like, almost to a year. Man. Just to try it out. Because they, they, you know, he worked hard on it. And I didn't want to disappoint him. 
And like it came to the point where I was just like, this leg is not serving me a purpose. Dude, if there's anybody who has ever mentioned Team Never Quit ever in their life that is a never quit, you <laughs> held on to that leg for a year, bro. I felt, there's some people that held on to their legs for a couple of years. Really? Yeah, I know a couple of them. Man. And I'm just like, I didn't have the willpower to deal with a non-functional leg. I don't know if it's... But and maybe for them it wasn't willpower. Maybe it was just more of a fear. And they could have different situations. I mean, you can have different situations where you feel different things. Or it could be a fear. Yeah, you could be right. A fear of losing that leg and you, you're like ready to get rid of it. I know a couple of people that had like similar style injuries as me, but they weren't nearly as bad. And I don't know if that's the reason why the doctors at the time refused to cut off their leg. Because their injuries weren't nearly as bad as mine. And then it didn't happen until a few years later. You know, mine, I was just in there. I was just like, I literally told them that this is, this is affecting the quality of my life. And this is, you know what I mean? This is like the yeah. the biggest depression I've ever. Man, it's almost like, and I, I, I hate to use this analogy. Well, maybe I don't hate to use the analogy, but it's like, you know, everybody talks <laughs> about you have bad seeds or people in your life you need to get rid of. Yeah. You know, that you're hanging around. Yeah, it was like a toxic person. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you've got it attached to you at all times. I, right I, I do that all the time. I am like, <laughs> I don't like dealing with bullshit. <laughs> like, you know, this thing's not, my leg is not positive right now. Let's go ahead and get rid of it. I have done that. I have done that to family members. <laughs> <laughs> I have done that to friends. And like, and, 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 you know, and you know, I get along with some people. There's some people that, yeah, they legitimately, legitimately, you know, might have down days, but they're not negative people. Yeah, no, I get that. And so like, I still, I still, I'm friends with them, but there's like people that are like, Every day. Every, every day. single day. There's like, there's some some type of negative criticism aspect that, you know, either they're, you know. And Dude, how, how, okay, so you, of all people, you've got one leg. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're around somebody who has a negative outlook all the time. Like, I, I see you, like, that makes sense to me. You can't put up with that. I can't. I, I I I can handle certain types of people. You know, I understand people that are having down days or like down times. Yeah, because that happens. That Man, happens. that happens to everybody. But then, like, like I I cannot stand like when there's like intentional. Oh man, what like, a great way to put that! Dude. Intentional drama or what negativity, a, like intentional negativity, man. That's a great way to put that. Like if it's like coming out on like a regular basis, and it's like maybe it's a part of the personality, you know. And I, and I've had my days where I like something might get stuck in my head, and I might you know might be down, you know what I mean? But whoever that person is, in, it's involved with, you know. Depending on how severe it is, I'll work it out with them, you know, and like I'll generally get over it. Um, but like, uh, there's been a couple of people like throughout the lifetime. I mean, one recently happened this summer. That's one reason why I'm happy I'm with you guys, you know, because <laughs> I experienced something, you know, that almost something similar that your wife experienced. Oh like, really? Yeah, just like a year ago. Like wow, um, man. Um, and that was probably like 
I've had a lot of things happen to me. Like my my left arm has been almost amputated off. Oh my gosh, like, dude! From, this is like I mean, like you. Do we have three podcasts that I can do? Because this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's been wild, and like this is like after this year, like I've I've now viewed this leg thing as like mediocre. Compared to like what happened this compared past to year. that yeah what happened this past year yeah but it's like so you don't realize... a human being can do something to you that that medi- makes your losing your leg mediocre think about that yeah. like negativity from a human or an evil act from a from a from someone close to you like emotionally close can be make losing a leg mediocre that's yeah. pretty impactful dude like it will. That's that has that carries some. So mine, mine was more. I, I get it because I've had similar things happen to me. Yeah, there's been a few people that like. Well, I, I think so. Like what happened this past year is I had a spinal cord injury. That they determined to be related to the explosion in Afghanistan, ten okay. years later. Yeah, it affected me, and so that that part that actually hit me worse than the leg did. Really? Yeah, it did. Man. It was, it, yeah, and so like... Well, spine, I mean, I guess... Cause it, as as crucial as a leg is, a spine you can't you, you can't find relief from. Yeah, you can't. It's like, it's a slow... I don't know if you know this, Kim's had her broken back. Yeah, that's one of the first things I learned about her. Yeah. And, and what happened in mine, it was nice to see, like, when I first came back to CrossFit, I saw her doing it. Because then, like, knowing her, she can do it. I was like, all right, if she can do it, I can do it. Mine was, I didn't have a broken, I mean, I had one fracture in my back that they found I didn't know I had. We don't even know how long it's been there. Um, Dude, I met you have lots of stuff you have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you, like, I guess, like, the one thing that I know now going through all this is you don't know the kind of shit that you can pull yourself out of until you've been through it. And then you, you look you look back onto it and you're like, I am a strong motherfucker. Like this is yeah, I cannot dude. believe that I just yeah. got through this. I cannot believe it at all. And then doesn't it make like the things that other things seem like, oh man, why was I sweating that? I can handle all this all day long. All this. Yeah, this is nothing. Like, you know, yeah. like, like and that, and then it also kind of puts you in that perspective, like, if I can remain positive and have a smile in these shitty ass circumstances like why why put up with that intentional like negativity too it's like yeah. why, why even do it like why even bother so you have you really like legitimately you have no time for it i have i i have no i'll give people the opportunity yeah but like if i like you know and I'm a nice person. Sometimes I give people a lot of chances. <laughs> and I, you know, that's not a bad thing. Man. Sometimes that's I probably not a bad g- thing. give myself. I mean, people go through down. You you can catch them at certain points in their life. You know. And all yeah, that yeah. And I believe in second chances all day long. Yeah, yeah. Second, third, fourth, fifth chances. I mean, people are never out of the game. Yeah, you're never out of the game. The only thing keeping you out of the game is you. And like, it's not like, and and like, maybe it's not about. It's not with everyone. It's not like chances. You know, it's like sometimes. It's like, it could be out of their control. 
yeah. you know, the reason why they're having a downtime. Totally, man. And like at that point in time, it's like sometimes it's hard for me because I have this huge wall up against negativity. I have to remind myself a lot that this is not in that person's control. And like knowing that I have been a strong person through my life, I got to be a stronger person for them. Man, I like that. And so, like, I got At the re- same time, I mean, you understand it on a different level because, honestly and truly, you, your leg injury was not in your control. It was not. You know, really. And, and I mean, you, you like to take ownership of everything that you have, like, everything that happens. Like, maybe if you hadn't been asleep, or maybe this, or maybe that, right? You can say... That's all hindsight. Twenty twenty really is yeah. out of your. You know, that's out of your control. So, you have a different perspective on that situation, and you understand it a little better yeah. than maybe other people do. There's a lot of things that you can tell when it's that's not out of someone's control. Like I'm learning that right now. You know, that's you know, learning things through your lifetime is never going to be a. It's going to be a never-ending process. Um, you're always going to have. Something that's going to bring you down. Some things are going to bring you down more than others. And most of the time, you know, sometimes these things don't, they're out of your control, but it's also like what you make out of them too. Like you can have a bad day, but still put a smile on your face. Yeah. But you know what? The important thing that I think about that is, is that if you surround yourself with the right people, people when when those times hit, it, that this is the most crucial thing about doing that almost as a proactive thing is like yeah. you surround yourself with those kind like people like yourself yeah or you know and, and anybody just anybody who is an, a good honest friend to you that is positive yeah I mean when those times hit they're gonna be there for you to not let you go too deep down that rabbit hole yeah and that's like something I'm, I'm kind of learning right now is like I've never I mean, I've done that for a couple of people, but I've never, like, known the power that I have, you know, for some people. Isn't it crazy? And it's like, like think I'm, about how crazy it is that the, uh, and we were talking about this before, the, the impact of, the impact of you not having a leg. Yeah. Like, yeah. the impact of you losing your leg is more positive on other people. Like, it spreads through and inspires oh, and everything it's, else, it's you know? contagious. Yeah. I, I've, I've known it's contagious. I think the funnest people to work to work with are the, the funnest interactions I get about my leg are with kids. <laughs> I bet, dude. I bet. I would have been one of those knuckleheads, dude, yeah. not thinking about like yeah. any, anything about feelings. Like, what is that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I play a lot. Is that guy walking on a pole? Oh, I play a lot. I totally play a lot with it. Like, I've told kids that I'm a transformer. <laughs> Believe you. Yeah. I would believe you. Yeah. I would have been that kid that believed you. Uh, recently, like one of my friends, uh, his daughter said, "Cause, cause dude, she, I'd have been telling stories right now." Yeah. Oh, his, uh, his, at, at 39, I'd be on this podcast going, "Dude, I met a transformer." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people ask, like, I, I totally have fun with my injuries, and like, you know, even though they're they're really crummy. But it's like you, I, I like having fun with them because it kind of takes a load off of me being so serious about them. I can put a smile on my face about it. So, like, one thing, like, I like to tell people is, like, 
when they ask how I lost it, you know, you know, automatically people usually assume, you know, at my age, yeah, you know, he lost his leg in, in one of the wars, but you could have lost it to bone Dude, cancer, a car man. accident. There's, there's guys that lose it to viral infection. Yeah, dude. yeah. And so I totally, yeah. I totally have fun with it now. And like, I, I just like throwing people off just to, just to start a conversation with them. I'll just oh, be like, funny. yeah, uh, dude, it was the craziest thing. I lost it from a shark attack in Afghanistan. I saw that on one of your posts. It's, a, it's and like I legitimately, I legitimately went, shark attack in <laughs> Afghanistan? I've, I've had people believe it. Actually, there's sharks in Afghanistan. I'm like, dude, they're the biggest things you've ever seen in your life. I'm like, this is so sort of, What is he talking about, dude? Yeah. This guy is, this is funny. Yeah, some people believe it. Like, it's crazy. Uh, like, if, if you like, if you like sit there and like pull it off of it, like have a serious, dude, you gotta like use your body language. Be like, dude, there was the biggest freaking shark I'd ever seen in my life, and people. People will believe it. Were you like waiting on your downtime in the ocean? Yeah, <laughs> like, like it just swam up the river from the ocean. Yeah, like, I was just out there taking a bath, and all of a sudden, yonk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's another, another story uh, uh, that I'll tell every now and then? Is I was like, oh yeah, we were on a foot patrol, and this jaguar came out of nowhere and attacked me. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no one believes that one. No. The, that, Man, I, that's more believable than the shark. shark. I've been, I've been, I think I get more into the shark attack one because I know it's not true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Oh. Dude. This has been one of my most fun podcasts I've ever had, dude. I can honestly say. And it's not the whiskey either. It's, yeah, it's like, not. Yeah, this it's is awesome, me. man. It is awesome. Dude, well, um, where can everybody, like, find you as far as, like, do you want people following social media? Do you do any sort of, like, charity work? Is any Where would you send people to go that want to support things, like, that happen to you that can help people, like, should they go to the hospitals and visit the people who have lost oh, their legs? Yeah. Like, what is this? What What can you help do to help other people that might be in your situation or have gone through that? What can you do to help? Um, I mean, this is a question I don't ever hear asked, and that's why it hit my head. Like, you don't ever hear it asked to somebody who it happened to. Yeah. What's the best thing that other people outside, like, from the outside looking in, can help? Just be a like friend. You? Like, if you meet and know them in person, just be a friend. That's all you can do. Is just just be, be there. Just be a friend. You know, check up on them. If you're not in contact with them often, check up on them often. Like just text message, call, go visit them. Ask them to come over for dinner. You know, like something like that. Um, make friends with them. Uh, one of my buddies, Chad Fleming, I went through physical therapy with him from 75th Ranger Battalion. He was a captain. Um between him and Marcus Luttrell, they both run a nonprofit called um, the Boot Campaign. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they do a lot of good yeah, stuff. Yeah. As much as I drive around, dude, I see that on back of trucks all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably one of my favorite organizations right now. What do they do? What is exactly what they do? Because so, I like, see the poster and I've never looked it up, but I see it all the time. Yeah, so I'm not 100% clear on where the 
like I know they they do like programs, mm-hmm. but I think the funds come from selling the boots, the shoes, and it helps people. It helps the sold, the veterans. Gotcha. It helps like pro, help helps them with like programs for them and their families and stuff like that. Gotcha. But I I, I don't know enough. Yeah, yeah. That's no, what I, I get that, but I didn't know any further than it's just boot. It was just a boot campaign. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I see Marcos Trell on the back of the. Academy yeah. trucks driving on the road. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, I've read that guy's book. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's probably like my favorite organization. But um, you know, there's there's a lot. You know, everyone's all of us. So I was hooking up with everyone on social media. It's like, <clears throat> I mean, oh. does that help? Like people social media commenting so, on stuff. So like, I started, you know, outside people. Does that affect you at all? I started recently. Like, mine kind of started started exploding a little bit over the past like six months. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mainly from the spine, the spine injury that I recently experienced too. That's the reason why. It, kind of blew up a year a couple of years ago i met a really fame really popular social media person his name is andy beto he's a ex-navy seal um he runs a, a blade shop called half phase blades is this a knife thing? A knife. Thing. Oh my gosh i have to follow it i'm gonna get it from you yeah i'm gonna remember this but i need to get it from you because i love like the handcraft knives or awesome man yeah so and so cool. like i spent like a week or so with him and like was being taught how to make knives from him and now like, that's awesome really good friends with him um and then when i had the spinal cord injury i didn't know what i was doing and i turned to him i was just like dude i need help and he hooks me up with carry the load and so the spinal cord injury i got fallen up to dallas by veterans airlift command on a private jet mm-hmm. For a spine spinal cord injury and had surgery at Texas Back Institute. I think I was their first veteran they treated. Like it's such a high end facility, they usually treat like yeah. You're talking national sport league, you know, famous football players, basketball, <laughs> Tiger Tiger Woods, people who make millions of dollars, not people who go fight for the country. Yeah, people. Yeah, people who make millions, and <laughs> not people who who like make nothing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and like and. And so I, I, I think they were like experimenting with me with as like a, a gateway to, to treat more veterans and active duty members, which mm-hmm. is really good for them. That's really awesome. Man. Really good kudos, for everyone else. Kudos to them. Yeah, big time. Um, there needs to be more people out there like that. Yeah, um, there does. Um, but yeah, and I think like throughout this recent spinal cord injury, like I've gotten to know a lot of people, and I've like seeing that, that there's a lot of people out there with like really big hearts that care about us and like what care about I, all veterans call, man. not there's... just not just veterans too like there's an organization that does both with veterans and civilians yeah called trinity oaks and they like i've heard that i've heard of that what yeah so they take like uh terminal ill patients or special needs kids yeah out on hunting trips oh along gosh, along dude. with not only along with, but not by themselves, but along with injured veterans. And it's like a magical moment. It's it's a really cool I was almost about to say, like, I can't love it anymore. Yeah. Like, like I can't love it any more than what you just said, dude. Yeah, it's, That's amazing. it's a really cool organization. So, Very cool, man. Yeah. All right, well, go support all of that stuff. 
Um, follow him. What's your Instagram name? Uh, right Cause now, it's funny, dude. Yeah, I mean, I, la- I I even told you like I laughed so hard at your bottle thing, dude. One, you hit the bottles with your le- your prosthetic leg. First off, and then and then you did the the hand job one where you just unscrewed the bottle, and it made it's so simple, but it's so funny. I couldn't help laugh. it, dude. It made me laugh so hard. I even told Kim I was like, dude, I laughed. I watched it over. I watched it probably six or seven times and just laughed every time. And then I told my daughter, who's up in Fort Worth right now visiting her grandma, I said, you need to watch this video because it's funny. <laughs> I don't take anything seriously on social media. It's like, yeah, when I did that, I saw that bottle cap challenge. I like, I saw one of my, one of my amputee friends use his prosthetic leg and like hit the bottle cap, actually knocked the bottle cap off of his prosthetic leg. I was like, man, now I got to do something different. And then I saw someone else just kick it and miss. And I was like, okay, I have two ideas. (laughs) I'm just gonna hit. Yes. The, I'm just gonna hit like swing my leg out like a baseball bat and just hit it across the room, and then cuss at it. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, and then I was like, I was I was driving to work early, and I was like, dude, I was like, what is the deal with this bottle cap challenge when you could just take it off with your hand? <laughs> I was like, but what am I gonna call it? I'm just gonna call it a hand job. Let's oh my gosh, dude. I was like, still laughing. So I'm cheering up right now, dude. I don't know if it's stupid that I'm laughing at this or that it's just genius. Because it's like, really yeah, funny. Like, like, there's so many things you could, like... There's so many, so many dumb stuff you could do with a leg or, or you know, there's anything. Just anything. No, it's funny that you just... I mean, regardless of the leg, dude, that hand thing the was hand like, thing was... Dude, why didn't I think of that? It was yeah, genius, it's like, dude. Yeah. For real. Like... So, uh, what is it? Pop, Pop Smoke Jimmy? Oh, yeah. It's Pop Smoke Jimmy. Yeah, that's that's the social media. Pop Smoke Jimmy yeah. is your is Instagram, Instagram handle. Name. Go follow him there. I and... used to go by... Uh, here's a funny one. I used to go by Sticky Stumpy. Sticky Stumpy's <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> but Pop Smoke Jimmy's pretty cool. I like Pops. I, right now, I like Pop Smoke Jimmy. <laughs> right now. Right now. I'll change it later. I change whatever. it. I, I, I get funny ideas, and then I'll change it. <laughs> Okay, so follow him under that, and if he changes it, you'll get to see what he changes at. Yeah, yeah. Man, thank you so much for doing this, dude. Yeah, no this problem. was a blast. It man. was a blast. I love it, man.